Hello, I'm Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada, and you're listening to Quick Hits, which is a short podcast about all things terrorism-related. Even though I am from Ottawa, I'm not recording this piece from Ottawa today. I'm recording this piece in Grimsby, Ontario, which is a city of about 30,000, located kind of halfway between Toronto and Niagara Falls in the Niagara Peninsula. I'm here because this is where my wife was from. She still has family members here in the Niagara Peninsula. We're here for a visit. Grimsby is known today largely for being, I guess, a bit of a satellite community for Toronto. It's only, as the crow flies, 30 miles from Toronto, but the crow flies over the lake, and that's kind of hard to drive through. But it's about an hour and a half to two hours, depending on traffic, to Toronto. It's also known because it's in a very fertile part of Ontario. The Niagara Peninsula is worldwide known for fruit trees, peaches, cherries, pears, apples, etc., it's a wonderful place to be when the, when the when the harvest is in. Something else that Grimsby is known for is that it was part of Canadian history that dates back more than two centuries. It was one of the key sites in the so-called War of 1812, which was an attempt by the United States to invade and conquer Canada, which back then was called British North America. It wasn't really called Canada until we got our independence in 1867. And this podcast is all about war and terrorism and the relationship between the two. Now, the War of 1812 was definitely uh, an imperialist war that the Americans launched against Canada to fulfill what uh, President James Monroe would call the Manifest Destiny, which was this notion that the United States should control the entire North American continent. And we were not part of the United States. We were still a British colony back then, and they didn't like that. Now, the Americans would say, well, that's not really the reason for it. The real reason for it is that British ships were harassing American ships in the Atlantic Ocean, which is undoubtedly true. But I don't think that's the real reason why the Americans launched the invasion in 1812. Long story short, the war lasted the better part of three years. There were skirmishes on both parts of the border. Not a hell of a lot was accomplished. Although the British, along with some Canadians, (laughs) did go to Washington to burn down the White House. Sorry about that, guys. And the war ended with a peace treaty. I believe it was a the Treaty of Ghent, if memory serves me correct, in 1815. And there's this interesting park here in Grimsby called the uh, Peace Memorial Park, which commemorates the Battle of Forty Creek. Forty Creek is uh, a creek 40 miles from the U.S. border. And on the 8th of June, 1813, American forces, which were retreating after the Battle of Stony Creek, now Stony Creek is just west of here, were bombarded by the British flotilla. They abandoned their camp, etc., etc., and uh, it was not a good day for American forces. Why am I talking about the War of 1812 when it comes to terrorism? There are some who would say that war itself is an act of terrorism. It's an act of state-sponsored terrorism. Where do I stand on that? This is a tough one. If we take as a fundamental basic definition of terrorism that it is a serious act of violence that is predicated, carried out, executed, planned, whatever, for any number of political, ideological, or religious reasons, it stands to reason that war is an act of terrorism. There's no question that wars are carried out for political, ideological, or religious reasons, for the most part. And there's no question that there's acts of serious violence and warfare. My God, look at World War I with it, what, 6 million deaths, and World War II with the 20 million deaths? So that's pretty serious in my books. So you could, in fact, say that war is a state-sponsored act of terrorism. More narrowly, it's possible that there are acts of terrorism within warfare. Now, we tend to call these war crimes. These would be the execution of prisoners, for example, We look at the Nazi Holocaust and their treatment of Jews and gypsies and undesirables in concentration camps in Germany and Poland and other parts of Eastern Europe. But I don't think we call them terrorism per se. Again, I think it depends on which side of the fence you want to stand. Again, for those, there are many who say that war itself is terrorism. I don't happen to 
concur with that. I think it really complicates things, but I acknowledge that if we're, I'm going to try and impose my definition of terrorism on anyone else, uh, I'm wasting my time because there are so many definitions, as is Alex Schmidt, scholar Alex Schmidt, has noted there's over 200 definitions that he found for terrorism. We're not going to get a consensus anytime soon. But let's agree to disagree. I don't think war is terrorism. Others think it is. But there is a relationship between war and terrorism that I think I've talked about a lot in the past, but certainly bear repeating today. That is, wars often lead to acts of terrorism in the sense that when country A attacks and maybe invades or gets to occupy country B, there are groups within country B who aren't happy with the situation. They don't want to be invaded and occupied. And so they rise up in opposition to the forces of country A, land forces, ground forces, air forces, whatever. And sometimes those individuals form groups that we would call terrorist groups. Now, where have we seen this in the past 30 or 40 years, i.e. in modern history? Go back to 1979, Boxing Day of 1979, when the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, trying to prop up a puppet government that it had been supporting for quite some time. Of course, in the aftermath of the Soviet invasion, we had the creation of Al-Qaeda. No Soviet invasion, no Al-Qaeda. Furthermore, if you go to 2003, the American invasion of Iraq, that led to the creation, the spawning of an Al-Qaeda affiliate in Iraq called Al-Qaeda in Iraq. Al-Qaeda wasn't in Iraq prior to the U.S. invasion, at least not to my knowledge. And of course, Al-Qaeda in Iraq, or AQI, eventually morphed into ISIS, the Islamic State, in 2014. And <clears throat> one more example, in 2005, at the behest of the Americans, Ethiopian forces invaded Somalia, and that led to the creation of Al-Shabaab an Al-Qaeda affiliated terrorist group, which 15 years later is still extremely active in that country. I am looking at news from Somalia on a daily basis, and there are terrorist attacks weekly, if not several times a week, carried out by Al-Shabaab against Somali civilians and against the Somali National Army. Those are just three main examples. I could give you lots of more examples. You know, Russian forces in Central Asia, uh, the multiplicity of forces in Libya now after the uh, downfall of Muammar Gaddafi, French forces in the Sahel, the list goes on and on and on. What this says to me is that military force, the use of armed forces, is actually a producer of terrorism, not a queller of terrorism. Can I use is there a verb to, the verb to quell? I'm not sure that queller is a noun, but I just used it. In other words, when we see the military as our primary counterterrorism tool, we are just deluding ourselves. We are fooling ourselves. It doesn't work that way. It is rare as if or even impossible for the military to be the force that's going to eliminate a particular terrorist threat or eliminate a particular terrorist group. I can't think of a sim single example off the top of my head where a military response led to the disappearance of a terrorist threat. Quite the contrary. It seems to engender and seems to feed the terrorist threat. Now, I wrote about this an awful lot in my Alexa last book, uh, An End to the War on Terrorism, arguing that, first of all, we should use, get rid of the term war on terrorism. It is a stupid term. You don't declare war on common nouns because common nouns don't surrender. And secondly, especially in the post-9-11 period, we have tended to view the military as our primary response, initially to al-Qaeda and then later on to Islamic State. This is not to say the military has not had successes. This is not to say the military has no role to play in counterterrorism, drone strikes, if carried out properly, i.e. not hitting civilians, is a particularly good function, a particularly good strategy when it takes out terrorists. But I fear that we are seeing the military as 
the weapon of choice, pun intended, to deal with terrorism. And I think that's a mistake. I think we have to go back to other types of responses. I'm obviously very much in favor of intelligence and security intelligence and law enforcement responses. That's the world that I come from. I'm also well aware that even lower down the scale, community responses, uh, civic engagement, and things like that are a good idea. And I just wish that we would change our paradigm when it comes to, to terrorism because it's not working. And there's an old phrase, if something is not working, you might want to stop doing it. If you're digging yourself a hole, you might want to stop digging. At the end of the day, uh, war is rarely a good idea. You're probably familiar with the 1960s Vietnam protest song, War, What Is It Good For? by Edwin Starr. And I just wish that we would see that this is just a bad idea when it comes to the war and terrorism. What do you think? Drop me a line on email, borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at borealisaves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like this content and you want to receive more, go to my webpage, borealisthreatenrisk.com, hit the subscribe button, give me your email address, and you'll receive daily updates free of charge every morning. Love to hear from you. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe.